we read verses about weeping and gnashing of teeth and it's pretty confronting kind of stuff so right at the end of this um passage jesus says whoever has ears let them hear so let's pray that we would be people that have ears to hear what he has to say loving father and our lord jesus we thank you that in your word uh, you prepare us for the life that you bring us into lord when we're children of your kingdom and so we pray this morning that we would be people that have ears to hear lord we also pray that if we're um, people that don't know you that you would give us an open heart and mind to understand what jesus was saying at this time and what it means for us today and we pray it in his name amen uh bailey you're gonna have to click along with me is that all right so i wanted to ask you a question when have you had to make a massive change in your life a massive change just think about that for a moment try to remember how daunting it may have been Maybe you can remember how much of a relief it was to know that change was just around the corner for you. Change is a pretty massive thing. Change goes on around us all the time. Just last week, I was um, organising a trivia night, um, and it was all themed around the 1990s, which was the decade where I was a kid, and also my early teenage years, and just thinking about what was on the TV in the 90s, the movies that were in the cinemas or coming out on VHS in the 90s, um, what was on the radio and in the newspapers, you just realise how quickly things change. Even in my short life, it's pretty clear that change happens all the time. It's such a big thing that um, lots of people sing about it. What's Bob Dylan's favourite song? The times they are, are changing. Politicians, they love to campaign about it. Um, I was trying to remember, like, I was trying to remember political campaigns. I'm not actually old enough to remember too many of those, but you can probably think about that's what they want to talk about. They want to change things. We're going to get in and change things. They're never in there long enough to do much, but they always want to change things. Change is something that you've probably resisted, and then at other times you've backed it, you've campaigned for it. Things change. But isn't it also true that nothing ever really changes? See, the sun comes up and the sun goes down. Babies are born and then funerals are held. It's like a pendulum that swings back and forth to the left and the right. Look at a book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. It makes a pretty strong place that things move around in circles. Things change, but then do they really ever change that much? That's a pretty significant question because we're Christians and we're following someone that was around a couple of thousand years ago. That's a long time to have influence over a world, influence over society. What change does Jesus bring? See, we won't appreciate all the changes that Jesus really has brought into this world because it's all we've ever known. And then... On the other hand, we will have known that. So you could possibly speak about the massive change that Jesus has made in your very own life. Unless, of course, you've been blessed with knowing him since your childhood, where you might only know the difference that you see in your life than someone who hasn't had that. 
But you see, Jesus, he literally divides history, doesn't he? See, he's had a greater impact on humanity than any single other person, any other philosopher, any other guru or leader or whatever you want to call them. Jesus has made a massive impact on this world. And yet, there's still another juxtaposition. See, we're more violent. We're more greedy. We're less compassionate. More self-focused. It seems like every day, this is the way that our society heads. In fact, in the book of Romans, it says that we even invent new ways of doing evil. It doesn't take long to think of examples of this. See, why doesn't our world change? Or why does it change, but in a way that seems to have less interest in God, in less tolerance for God's word, less reverence for Jesus as our king? Well, when Jesus begins his preaching, according to Matthew, he says this. Jesus began to preach and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This was Jesus' world-changing, life-changing, kingdom-changing message. Matthew tells us this was his message on repeat. Wherever he went, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It was all about bringing this kingdom into the lives of the people that he would speak about. And that's important because by the time we get to Matthew 13, which is where we're looking today, what we meet is we meet Jesus teaching about his kingdom. He's actually in this passage explaining to us how this kingdom works or where it fits or what it does. And it will answer these questions that I've put up so far. See, by the bit that we're up to, he's already taught that there will be different responses to this message of the kingdom. And this was the the parable that comes right before this, if you've got it open in your Bible, it's the one that I was more familiar with and you're probably more familiar with, the parable of the soils. Jesus has just shared with us. And if you remember that parable, his conclusion there is that for those of us who hear his message and accept it, we're going to produce a crop in our life the way, way beyond what he started in us. That is, we will change we will change and be changed. And we know that that means becoming like him. Jesus says there about this, the seed falling on the good soil refers to, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. And so here we are, a changed people, people who belong to the kingdom. But where are we? See, we're still living in the world. And that's precisely why Jesus tells us these parables. Why doesn't the world change? Why does evil persist in the world? Well, Jesus launches into this story with these questions in mind. Now, you've got to remember, we're looking at a parable. So, not everything in this is allegory. That is... There's a basic point to what Jesus is saying, so we don't need to read into every little part of it to try to find the meaning. It's actually there. You've got a field, and someone's planted it, and then someone else has come and planted in uh, weeds into this crop that's been planted there. 
One has been planted by the one who rightfully should plant there. And their crop is a good crop. It's a useful crop. It'll produce something that's good. And yet, the other crop has been planted by the enemy of the first man. In the cover of darkness, he's come in and planted something with the aim of destroying the good crop that's there. Now, I've never tried to grow a crop of anything. Um, if you're a cane farmer, don't bother to get me to come and help you unless you want me to, I don't know, show you how to send an email or something. But um, I've had a little crack at gardening. I've, had, I've tried a few times. Back in 2012, uh, when we lived in Armadale, we bought a house and it had a pretty overgrown garden because, unfortunately, the lady we brought it off had just gotten too old to keep up to it. That's pretty much why she wanted to sell a house. So it was good for us. But anyway... Now, I thought, how am I going to get into this garden? And I'd go down on a uh, Sunday afternoon and I'd put my gloves on and my old clothes and I'd be there for hours trying to pull out this and pull out that and weed it all up. And then I thought, "Mm, now I've done this, what am I going to do? How am I going to stop these weeds from coming back? Well, I thought if I'd just go and buy some mulch and throw it on top, that that would pretty much choke out the weeds and it would all be okay. It never, ever worked. As sure as there was daylight for the weeds to grow toward on the surface, the weeds would just keep coming back. And I um, paid some kids to come in and pick the gu- do it for me the next time. And then I don't know how else I'd try to... I tried um, throwing poison on them. I just couldn't get rid of these weeds. Now, thinking about Jesus' story and thinking about my... Um, pretty ordinary gardening has our approach as the church been kind of like I was in my garden has our approach as the church been the same in how we engage with our society or in what ways has it been the same so have we done a similar thing in how we have answered the question as to why evil persists Has our approach been in the same in how we disciple each other? In how we encourage each other with the weeds that are in our own lives? As we've been trying to live for Jesus. I think often it has been to to just try to pull the weeds out of our society. As if we can kind of achieve change through our moral effort. As if we can just fix it up by getting in there and just voicing how it should be or maybe it's been to just cover up the weeds and hope that they'll just die off Jesus is very clear in a few things here that really clarify these questions see in his parable and his explanation the the bookends of of what we read today Jesus makes it clear that the good seeds sown in this world are his people If you follow him, if you trust him, if you trust his death for you, if you have hope from his resurrection, then Jesus says you are the good seed, you are the crop of wheat. Jesus gives us great hope here about what it is to be his good seed. If you look at the very end of it, he says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. See, there is one future for all who believe in Jesus. 
as sure as Jesus is risen, we will be with him in his kingdom. But that's not what he's addressing so much here. Because his, his parable is not about what that kingdom is like. His parable is actually about our experience in this world. See, we know that there is bad seed, people who persist in doing evil. And Jesus ups it a notch, as Jesus often does, and he says this is seed spread by the devil, by Satan. Now, in the parable, you can hear the frustration. The servants ask, when they they find out about this, they're like, Master, hang on, didn't we go and sow good seed? How did this happen? How is it that in this field that we've planted, that all of a sudden we've got these weeds? I I thought we only planted good seed. Maybe you feel this way. How is it that in Australia, what, however long we've been a whatever we are for, aren't we a Christian nation? Won't we say things like that? How is it that we've invested in certain ways in our society and yet we don't always see the fruit of it? Maybe after decades of serving Jesus, you've found it just disappointing that as a whole our society just seems to have less concern, less time for Jesus. As you see, the more extreme rejection of Christian morals in what the consensus is amongst the community. Far less engagement by our community with the church. Well, Jesus says here, hang on, there's an enemy that works against this. It's not something we talk about much, but Jesus isn't shy about it. Jesus makes it clear that Satan is God's enemy. He hates God and and God's kingdom, and so he attacks it. He attacks his crop. The kind of attack that Jesus describes in this story of someone coming in in the cover of night and planting seeds, people would actually do this. In Jesus' time, when he was telling this story, they'd be like, oh yeah, I know, you know, I know Farmer Joe down the road, that happened to him. People would actually do this. Okay, now they just do cyber attacks and things like that. But people would come and sow a weed crop amongst a good crop. But notice, Jesus compares this type of action to what Satan would do. And what's his goal? What's to infect the purity of the kingdom? It's like the first time we meet Satan, way back in Genesis chapter 3, in the garden. He's there to spread lies, deception, to infect the purity of an open and honest relationship that was Adam and Eve's to have with God. To infect the purity of an open and honest relationship that we can experience as part of God's kingdom. And so, coming back to the story, when the servants hear about the weeds, they ask the master, in verse 28, if you see it there, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? You can hear their enthusiasm. Come on, let's get it early. Let's nip it in the butt. Well, is this our mission as the church? Is this our calling as Christians to speak loudly in defense of Christian morals? To impose our beliefs wherever we can? Well, Jesus' message here is for those, Jesus' message here is for those who are part of the kingdom. And what Jesus actually says to this question is, well, actually, no, the weeds don't spoil the wheat. 
like I said before, the key to understanding this comes in Jesus' explanation that the field is the world. The field planet is the world. The field is not the kingdom. The mistake that gets made is to forget this and think that we need, as Christians, to weed the world out of its mess. If this is on a grand scale that we try to do this, like creating some kind of Christian state, or on a small scale being just known as the judgmental Christian in your family or workplace, whatever it is, it never works. It's not actually necessary. Why? Because, well, Jesus is telling us right here that he's planted his crop into this world and enemies planted another crop seeking to destroy it. But there's no need for the servants to go and weed out the crop. And why isn't there a need for that? Because, as Jesus says, there'll be a harvest time. See, the great hope and truth is that God will judge. God won't let evil persist forever. God will sort it. God won't allow evil to persist in this world. Jesus tells us here that he will wipe it out. See, I think Jesus' parable exists... Oh, sorry, explains to us what we see, explains to us the frustrations that we experience as, uh, as his followers. We're part of the kingdom, but it's not really completed yet. In fact, we belong to a different kingdom, a kingdom where, um, a, a different kingdom to the world we live in. In Peter's first letter, he, he actually talks about this. He calls us aliens and strangers. Bailey, if you flick through, we'll get a, another verse on this. He says, keep going, mate. Yeah, here, in 1 Peter 2.11, he says, Beloved, remember, you don't belong in this world. You are sojourners living in exile. Our home is not here. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Who said that? Jesus. I think he said that talking to Pilate, didn't he? So to remind us of this, Jesus gives us these other two short parables that Matthew's recorded for us here. See, this, this parable is either side of the two shorter parables, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Look back with me at verse 30, um, 31 to 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven, well, it's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Now it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of all garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches he told them still another parable the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it works through the whole dough so don't get confused jesus's work will have a great and transformative effect it will reach multitudes it is reaching multitudes See, the size of a mustard seed compared with a mustard tree is incomparable. We might even find one on our sandwich at lunch today. A tiny little mustard seed that you wouldn't even notice it if it was on my finger grows into something like that. Or if we think about what yeast does to bread. The picture there of bread without yeast, the unleavened bread, and then the leavened bread. See, it works its way through a dough to cause the whole texture of the bread to change. This is what Jesus wants us to remember. 
this kingdom that you're a part of, well, it's not of this world, but that doesn't mean that it's not growing. It will dwarf the evil of our age. It will overcome the sin that's entrenched. That's why we're people that are committed to the gospel. That's why we're committed to this message of repentance, of coming back to God, to sharing that message with our community, sharing that Jesus is our saviour, our saviour out of this world, our saviour who has paid the price to liberate us from this mess, to forgive us of the sin that we all have, to bring us out of darkness into his light. To those questions that I posed at the beginning, do have clear answers from this passage. Why doesn't our society change? The answer is that firstly, until the final harvest or judgment day, it won't fully take hold. There will be evil done regularly. But secondly, that even amongst that evil, Jesus' kingdom will continue to grow. There is hope of seeing the lost found, the blind given sight, even among the evils of our age. His kingdom has been and is growing ever since he initiated it. Since he, the king of that kingdom, wore a crown of thorns for the people of that kingdom. See, Jesus himself suffered great evil before he took his place on his throne in glory. So how then do we live in this age? Well, we can be confident. We don't need to worry. Hang on. Do you want us to go weed this out, Jesus? Do you want us to go and fight this little battle? No. We can live with hope, with confidence, with a single-mindedness on the death and resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness that he brings and the hope that we find there. And as we do that, we hold out that gospel to those around us, even in the face of all the evil that goes on. See, like Peter said in that verse, this is the full uh, couple of verses that he says there. He tells us, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. With that instruction, let's pray. Loving Father, we give you great thanks that we've had the time just to think about these things that Jesus taught uh, through these stories that we can connect to and understand and that put it into simple terms for us to understand. Lord, we ask that you would empower us by your spirit to live the good lives that you've called us to. Lord, we pray that it would rub off on the people around us, that they might see our good deeds and that they are a reflection of you. Father, we pray that you would give us the power to abstain from sinful desires, to live well as foreigners, to not put our hope in this world, but to have our hope in, in you, the King of the kingdom. And Lord, whether your kingdom in our vision is like a mustard seed or we can see 
the fruit of it growing or whether we haven't seen the the bread risen yet or whether we're experiencing it uh, working through the dough Lord whatever our experience might be Lord let us hold on single mindedly to the hope that we know is really there that comes from you our loving saviour and our risen king and we pray that in Jesus name Amen